Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Victoria Coleman, who's the winemaker at Lobo Wines. She's also the director of winemaking at the Caves at Soda Canyon in the Napa Valley. Victoria, I am so delighted to be sitting with you today. Thank you for having me, Michelle. You're one of my new favorite people uh, for so many reasons, but most importantly, you now serve on my think tank, which is so exciting. That's exciting. Thank you for having me on that as well. Yeah, and and you have such an impressive career. So let's let's dive right into that, shall we? Yes. Before you got into winemaking, did you have a another full time job? I started out as um, when I left Seattle. That's where I'm from. Right. I was studying computer science, so I had a lot of like office jobs and law firms. But when I moved to Napa, I got my first job at Stag's Leap Wine Cellars. Let's talk about that. You were studying computers, and then you moved to Napa, and you went to go work for a winery. When did you have that light bulb moment to go work in the wine industry. Can you describe it? I was dating someone who was working here in the industry at the time. And so when I decide just to make a change in my life and move to Napa, there were wineries and restaurants. I thought I'd rather work in a winery than a restaurant. So that's actually probably how I approached it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the truth came out. (laughs) A fella lured you to the Napa Valley, and then you were enticed by a winery, and you got yourself a job at Sagslate Wine Cellars. And what were you doing there? It was supposed to be a two-week stint as temporary receptionist, and I stayed on for the person who moved out of that position, and I ended up interviewing for a production assistant position under the winemaker. And I think that's where things took a turn, um, where I wanted to know more. I needed to know more and started to enjoy wine. So you got the wine bag and you continued to work in wine and you went to UC Davis. I did. (laughs) Very hard. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of fascinating because did you already have a degree in computer? I hadn't finished. So when I started working um, in California, it was just trying to establish residency and um, looking into schools where I would go. Right. And I just didn't make it that far. It just stopped. And when the relationship stopped, I thought, do I go back home and do what I was doing or do I stay here and pursue viticulture? By that point, I figured if I'm going to be in Napa, this is what I'll do. When did you really fall in love with the wine business? What what was it? It was the vineyard. It was where I spent most of my time starting out. I always spent time in the winery uh, tasting through different trials. 
I didn't love being inside the winery. Um, I loved being out in the vineyard. And I was always sent to monitor vineyards um, before the harvest. And I remember I was sent to find... I was monitoring a specific vineyard in St. Helena that multiple buyers were purchasing from this vineyard. I remember getting a call in the morning telling, being told that they were picking the vineyard, and I told the winemaker, it's not ready. He's like, let's go check it out. And as we're driving up to the vineyard, the vineyard manager calls, and they're like, the pick's called off. It's not ready. So, I, I mean, I had a, like a connection or an, an understanding. So I was just comfortable and confident in the vineyard more so than anything. And it, it uh, continued to pique your curiosity. And you, like we said, you pursued a degree at UC Davis. Yes, and my mentor at the time, I remember him telling me, you don't need to go to Davis. I can teach you everything you know. You don't need to go to school and study. I can teach you everything you know. And I'm like, no, I think I got to go to school. So I made that decision. Yeah. And then you were lucky enough, after you got your degree, to go to Chateau um, Moton Rothschilds. How fantastic was that? That was, it was great. Um I mean, it not was, everyone gets that opportunity. No, it was. I think it was difficult initially in the cellar, just because it's you know the jobs in the cellar are for the men, and it took a while before they opened up and allowed me to be a part of that. But um, it was a good experience. I probably cried for a month because I missed my dog, but <laughs> once I got past that, I'm like, I could live here. So you brought up a point. Most sellers are filled with men. You were competing against them or, you know, working alongside them, I guess, would be a better way of saying it. Did you feel like you had to prove yourself in, in France? France? In France. I think so. Also, the other interns that were from France that were there, you're required to have a project before you graduate. And in my case, I had already graduated, but I was still required to have a project. So there was that ongoing. I felt like I was still in school. Oh, like, Lord, can't I be done? But yes, like through the project and um, being able to pull the load, you know, um, like the men, even though they were older. Right. Because it's like their careers. Right. We have a lot of younger people here in the cellar where it's. Okay more of work, you know. So when you returned to the U.S., you met Chris and Randy Wolf. I did. So I want to know how you met them, because what research I found, they immediately fell in love with you and, and basically hired you on the spot. So talk about that moment. So I began making wine in 2005 for Mario Bazan. He had a farming company that I was working for. Here in California. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I worked for him for a number of years while I was in school. And I remember when he first asked me to make wine, and I turned him down. And in 2005, he asked me again. And I thought, I haven't taken the classes that I need that if something went crazy with the fermentation, that I would know what to do. But if I can call on people, um, a mentor and get their help, then I would go forward with making his wine. And so that was the case. So I began making wine in 2005 with him, for him. And 
he had a release party while I was away in France. And so Randy and Chris Wolf were at the release party. And they tasted your wine. Yes. And so they were just, they're grape growers um, first. And kind of a, a conversation started about having their own. I think they were making a, a Pinot with a different winemaker at the time. So it just... So when you came back, they sought you out and said... I had a meeting. (laughs) And they said, we want you to make our wine, too. And I said, okay. (laughs) Okay, that sounds great. So, And so you basically came to work for them in 2008? So it was really... 2008 was my first vintage. So there were were conversations happening by email. Right. Um, And so... A harvest was done, and I relied on someone to actually make the harvest pick for me mm-hmm. and got through the fermentation. And when I actually, I think I probably, I arrived back before, um, probably while it was going through malolactic fermentation. Okay. And then I had my meeting, and they hired me um, officially. And then we went into the new year with um, developing this vineyard here at Atlas Peak. Let's talk about that briefly because we are seated, what I feel like is at the top of Atlas Peak with a spectacular view, and yes, surrounded by vineyards. What do you think the vineyards here on Atlas Peak provide? What kind of fruit? Well, I think it's fruit with a lot of character just because there's a lack of soil up here, so they have to struggle and they're competing with one another and no soil and just rocks. So I think you get a lot of minerality out of the fruit gets a lot of minerality. I remember when I first started making my first vintage up here was 2009 and it was all cab there. It was a very, I don't want to call it earthy wine, but there was just like a lot of black tea to it as the wine developed because we planted different clones of Cabernet after and we plant it Merlot and Petit Verdot. It's become a prettier wine. Um, so it goes back and forth between like floral. And I can still recognize the black tea, um, but just like a lot of dark fruit. But that's what stands out to me as like black tea. Black tea characteristics. Component. How many acres do they have planted to, to vines? Here planted, it's just under five Um it's, it was difficult Teeny blowing tiny. this rock. Yes. <laughs> it's a little steep, have, like, too. Old, it, I slip all the time. It's so bad. Well, um, that's not good. <laughs> Be tumbling down <laughs> the hill. A lot of little pebbles, like, under your feet, like marbles. Oh, no. Not, so. <laughs> not good at all. Yeah. So only red grapes up here? Yes. Only red grapes. So, only red grapes. Do you continue to be a consulting winemaker? I do. I don't have any current projects right now. Um, I have some developing, so stay continued, to be continued. But we talked about how you're the director of winemaking at the caves at Soda Canyon. Yes. So let's talk about what your job entails there. In the last, so I've been there about just over a year. And when I got there, we didn't have much of a seller team, so it's just finding the right people we've I've been able to put together a nice team for this harvest. Knock on wood wood or metal (laughs) in this case. Um, But basically I'm overseeing the production side of the winery because there is a hospitality side to it. 
And we have 12 different brands that are there. And I'm just making sure that the wine is made, carried out under their instructions. Um, I get to see a lot of cool things that, you know, I don't necessarily do. Um, so I don't, they're not secrets necessarily, but it's just, you know, things that I haven't tried, but, um, different winemaking styles. Yeah. So that, that's probably one of the best things about being in a facility like that, Okay. but it's just making sure that everything's working properly so that everything can be done to the best of our ability and making the wines for the clients that are there. Okay. And so it's a custom crush facility. It is a custom crush. Anyone can make wine there and you have 12 different brands. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about your wine specifically. How would you describe a Victoria Coleman wine? What sets you apart? I think that for me, I just try to capture the vineyard and the vintage, allow it to show through what the vintage gives us. And so not a lot of manipulation. Manipulation. I didn't want to say that, but not a lot of that, just allowing the vineyard to express itself through the vintage in which it's grown. And um, so that's basically my philosophy. To keep it in its purest form. So you've lately been touted as Napa's first black woman winemaker. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean to you? I've been this for such a long time. I love that it's out there. The cat is out of the bag. Right. But yeah, I've been that for a long time and I've always known that. So, but it means a lot to be in front of people who are like me, that they now know that I'm here. I've gotten a lot of um, visitors to the winery for that reason. That's something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Uh, Early years ago when the Oakland Wine Festival was going on, I thought, well, here's a way to get in front of, you know, my culture, Mm -hmm. you know. um, And Lobo allowed, you know, for me to take the wines there. It just, that didn't go, I mean the Oakland Wine Festival didn't go the way that I, I probably many would have liked, but, um, that was, you know, I tried to get out there. So it, it's great that it's happening now, but yeah, I've been here a long time and I'm just glad that people are finding, finding out about it, finding me. Does it make a difference? I think it will. I mean, I've, you know, I've had a couple people reach out to me, um, that want to be like on the production side of things because I've Mm -hmm. met, you know, several black women in the industry, but mostly hospitality, sales and marketing. Um, No one yet in production. And I've met, or I've had students email me from the Napa College or I went and participated in a master winemaking class at the college and had the professor say to me, you know, can I put some, you know, this person in touch with you? So, I'm happy to be there in that way, mostly, actually. Um, I have my cousin who, he was taking classes at the college, but he's from South Carolina, and we last year planted a vineyard at his mom's property. We uh, borrowed someone from Napa uh, who's in farming, and he helped us to plant it, but it was a lot of hard work, so I have him kind of coming along with me, you know, and he'll pick up again where he left off. 
at Napa, but it's it's meant a lot in that way. Um, the reason I ask is, you know, there's some women winemakers that don't necessarily want to be called out as being women winemakers. They're winemakers. Do you need to be the because I can't black be the female winemaker. I can't be the first black winemaker because I know that there was someone before me. So I think that's where the female comes in. Oh, yeah. I see. And okay. So because I never think about there are a lot of females in the industry and I would like to think the people that I've been working alongside all of these years don't think of me in that way. Right. Um, I never even really thought about that. I don't think about a lot of things like that. But hopefully you're showing that uh, people of color, of other ethnicities, can be winemakers too. They will follow in your footsteps that you are helping to open that door to more women, more ethnicities coming into the wine industry. We always have like a people people that I've been speaking with we've had the discussion of you know like why is it that we don't see you know the black professionals in the wine industry and a lot of it's to do I mean it's many things but we talk about just the exposure even growing up I mean my mom she would drink wine I remember it was Merlot and Riesling um, but I never really Riesling sticks out because I love Riesling, but um, I didn't grow up in it, so I come from a family of cocktail drinkers, and so when I came here, I wasn't, you know, I just, like, cutting my teeth on Stag Sleep Wine Cellars, that's inc- pretty incredible. It's just Absolutely. like... Absolutely. You know, where do you go from there? But it's just, um, we talk about just the different scenarios of as to why... We don't see enough of us in this. But I think in that sense, it, it does help to open doors. And you, whoever thought about winemaking? And then when I was here and knew the circumstances and knew that I was taking this path, I knew that likely I'd be one of a kind. You're you know? paving the way for others. I'd like to, I'd like to think so. Um, top moment of your career so far? I think... Can it be the places that it's taken me? Sure. You know, just like, I love that I've been in China and that I was making wine there and, you know, made friends there. Um, I love that it's taken me to Europe. I love Europe. Um, And hopefully it takes me back, you know, in a career-wise way. Right. Um, Besides from accolades of making the decanter magazine cover the wine itself um i think just the acknowledgement of people knowing that i'm here now i think yeah so what's ahead for you hopefully what do you strive for what are you striving for um i want to continue making wine Mm -hmm. making more wine uh maybe different wines in other places fingers crossed do you ever want to have your own brand? I would like to do something for myself. I think this is the first project, Lobo, that I've worked with where um, the people actually wanted to be a part of the wine. A lot of people are just, make the wine. And they like the wine, but 
it was just, you know, make the one or make what you make, you know? Right. And I like that they don't like certain things like that I may like, or I like that they grow to like what I like. Um, but I do want to do something that I would just like. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. So now let's shift to your personal life. (laughs) So you grew up in Seattle. As we talked about, you moved to the Napa Valley. What town do you live in? I live in Napa. You live in the town of Napa. How did you choose Napa? There's so many little towns to live in. I think Napa was the, it's the biggest, right? Mm -hmm. And I come from a city, so... You wanted to live even, in a city, yeah. <laughs> even though even though it's not, <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's bustling now. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Took a long time to get there. Yes, <laughs> I did. I lived in Saint Helena for a number of years, mm. and it was really nice and quiet. And I was commuting from there to UC Davis. So. Oh my lord. Okay. Yeah. So you're in the town of Napa. If we took a step inside your home, what would we see? What's your decorating style? Well, you would see five dog beds, maybe <laughs> <Five>. six. <laughs> oh my goodness! For one dog, um, it'd be simple, but it's more of partner's influence. Yeah, and we should mention that you first met your partner at Stag Sleep Wine Cellars. You didn't start dating, but you met. Yes, which I find amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah. I think it's hard to date, and or I think it's hard to be single in Napa if you move here. Single. Well, that's a conversation for another time. Yeah. So, but, t- talking about your house, what is the decorating style? So, I think it's more. It looks more masculine. I think I've been told. Um, well, what's the color scheme? So, um, a lot of brown, and I don't want. It's not like yellow. But um, mustard, maybe more so mustard okay. color, which I would totally change. And then there's this green chair that Uh-oh. everyone loves. <laughs> but you. Yes. <laughs> and I've been trying to get rid of it. I don't know that I'll be able to. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I would prefer just something simple and clean, like yeah, not a lot of stuff. <laughs> not brown and mustard. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe this podcast will help achieve that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you kick back and relax, <laughs> what room do you gravitate to? <laughs> really the, probably just the living room. The brown and mustard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't love it, but there's a big television up there. Okay. <laughs> um, well, for relaxing... I have this um, sauna blanket in one of the bedrooms. That's not that color. It's more <laughs> right. like a sage greenish. I don't oh, know. Oh, that's a nice color. Yeah. <laughs> so that's more of a relaxation. Sure. But to just like veg out. If you were to put on some music, what would that be? What I found lately that I've been listening to a lot is um, lo-fi hip-hop on um, am- or. Amazon Music. Okay. It's really good. Wow. Okay, yeah. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. So, and that's relaxing hip-hop mm-hmm. music? It's, it's lo-fi hip-hop. <laughs> lo-fi hip-hop. Okay. I don't know what that means, but yes. 
Okay, it's relaxing and Mm -hmm. it does the job. We're in wine country. Other than your own wine, what do you like to drink at home? Are you a wine girl or do you have the occasional cocktail or beer? I love cocktails. Mm -hmm. I'll say that right now. Um, But I love champagne. Love champagne. I'm a champagne girl too. Okay. If I could drink that all the time, I would. Every minute of the day. Do you have a hobby? Do you collect anything? Do you have time for a hobby? (laughs) I know. No, I used to love to work out all the time, but I haven't done that since before COVID even. Um, (laughs) Well, you don't look like you really need to work out. I have a COVID-19 that I need to lose. Oh, you got a darling (laughs) figure. But I feel like I don't have a lot of time right now. Not really. Do you collect anything that you can speak of other than wine? (laughs) That's embarrassing, but chopsticks. Oh, that's kind of fascinating. Okay. Yeah, and I don't... I don't know. I kind of have an idea. I don't have, like, a real reason why as to why, but I'm always, like, looking for, like, the best pair of chopsticks. And so the last pair I bought, I was... I bought a few pair in Japan, a few pairs in Japan, and then I was gifted some that I have kind of hidden for whatever reason. <laughs> like are they to... are they gold or <laughs> no? So... They're really cool. It's a, a chef. Um, I, th- I hope I don't mispronounce his name, but Takazawa, I think, um, and he's got a restaurant. And at the end of the night, because I've been searching for chopsticks like them right and he designed them and so he gave me them at the end of the night and I've just kind of like stuffed them away but yeah chopsticks they're like a collector's item (laughs) so how many pairs do you have gosh I don't even know I have so many over 20 oh yeah oh over 50 no not there yet (laughs) (laughs) well at some point you need to put them on display or something I feel like I don't know or find something super cool to stuff them you know like a big yarn ball and stuff them into or something I don't know it's just a thought I don't know I use them to eat though but I do but not those extra special ones because they're they're, stashed away. (laughs) Is there something other than chopsticks that people might be surprised to learn about you? Do you skydive? Do you rappel down mountains? I don't know. Did you do something crazy as a child? Um, The one thing that comes to mind because I've forgotten all about it and someone brought it up to me like another time was that in high school, there there was a flying class. So I got to fly a plane in high school. So that's pretty Who cool. Who does that? I that's know, no cool. one. But, um, you didn't crash. And even though I'm typically a quiet person, I'm um, a funny person. I think I'm pretty funny. I laugh at myself <laughs> a lot. I want to see that side of you because <laughs> you are very quiet and reserved quite a bit. I think it comes out like the more you... more comfortable yeah. you get. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've done quite a bit of traveling. Is there a meaningful trip that you've taken that you can share with us? I had a really good trip to Japan, I was saying, and it was for a birthday party um, of someone that I'd never met. And... Were you a guest? I was a guest. Okay. (laughs) Of somebody. And I made really good friends with him and his family, and he was just here two weeks ago. And... Well, it was just great to reconnect and to be reinvited 
<laughs> awesome. Um, and it was at the outbreak of COVID, and oh. it was just so it was like a hard trip. And he personally took me us around like to all of the things that we had planned to do or that we wanted to see just so that we didn't have to do like public transportation. But we just made really good friends mm -hmm. um, out of that, that experience and being with him. And just that's probably my favorite trip thus far, just going to a geisha house and just seeing, I mean, of course, China and Jap Japan are completely different. But So describe that geisha experience. Well, you they um they were just ceremonial right yes because there was an actual perf you know a couple of performances and then also you know for them to come and just sit beside you and not like pour your wine or but i mean they were doing that as well so i don't know if they were like, if servers or whatever but the woman who whose geisha house it was we had wine at like a private bar of hers afterwards and she was an older woman and she was just so kind you know and so receptive to you know outsiders and it was a really good trip just a good experience sounds like some very kind of behind the scenes unique experiences I had eaten so much that I had grown out of my clothes and it was so you know you have to sit on the floor and I was just like I remember wearing a jumpsuit. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my clothes no. are so mad at me right now. <laughs> it was a good trip. Yeah. <laughs> the food must have been fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. When you're here in the Napa Valley and you have a day off, how do you like to spend it? How would I like to spend it? <laughs> yes. How would you like to spend it? Um, I would either would like to venture out outside of Napa mm -hmm. um, just to be around I have friends outside of Napa that I like to see right um, sometimes it's nice to take a break right from the valley so probably go visit a friend um, but I wouldn't mind going and just having like a massage or a facial something like that I've not done that in a long time um, I feel like there's never really been a day off when I think that I've got a day off you know there's always something. So I never have a chance to really think about like, what would I like to do? Because I feel like I'm always going. Spoiling yourself a little bit and, and spending time with friends outside. Mm -hmm. Well, that being said, we're going to wrap things up with five quick questions. Uh -oh. so okay. the, are you ready? Okay. They're Go. quick. Quick. What kind of car do you drive? Um, I drive an Audi wagon for my dog and sometimes uh, my partner's electric car. Okay. What's your favorite flower? Oh, tulip. What is one of your favorite movies? That's a hard one. Just one of them. I'm sure you have a lot, but what, what's one of your favorite movies? Can we come back? No. Oh. <laughs> oh, The Godfather. Okay. I don't even know why I thought about that. Okay. <laughs> What's the last song that you dance to with your partner? Or what's a, f a favorite song that you like to dance to with your partner? How about that? Well, I love Michael Jackson, so I'll dance anything to Michael Jackson. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and a last question. What's in your nightstand? Oh, I have a lamp. Oh, inside of it. Yes. Do you have a drawer? No. 
I use the top portion. Okay, what's on top of your nightstand? <laughs> a lamp. <laughs> and I have a diffuser. A diffuser. And then just a little tray for like jewelry that I've forgotten to take off. And just like lazily throw it down. And a bottle of water or a glass of water. Okay. There you have it. Victoria, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for making this fun. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.